to Regrade Request Office Hours, where we take an in-depth look at a single topic or question that's on our mind. My name is Professor Mark Sheriff. Thanksgiving is over, December is upon us, the holiday season, Christmas, Hanukkah, Festivus, Kwanzaa, Candle Nights, however you celebrate. Hope it has been wonderful for you so far. Hopefully your mind is turned to the most important part of the season, shopping. Yes. So, obviously, Cyber Monday has happened. You've gone out and bought all this wonderful stuff, all this wonderful tech. Maybe you bought some new video games for yourself, maybe for a friend, maybe for that uh, delighted uh, son that you love so much. Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. You've bought some piece of software. Or did you? What I want to talk about today is software licenses. And what exactly is it that you're buying when you go out and buy a video game or some other piece of software? I think it's important for us to start off by talking about, well, what is software? Ooh, let's start with a philosophical one, shall we? Well, first, there's the, the code that the software de designers, the software engineers actually wrote, you know, the typey, 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 and they, they write from I equals zero into this, 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 to, you know, they write code. That's the actual source code. Along with that are all of what we would call the assets. So the assets would be pictures and videos and audio and everything else that comes together to make whatever it is that you are wanting to run. Now that is obviously not what you're buying. It's not like you go and buy a copy of um, some new video game. What's a new video game I just got? Uh, Unsighted, I just got that one. So it's not like they shipped me a copy of the software, of, of the actual code for this. We'll talk about instances where that might happen. What I got was uh, an executable. So you take the written code into something that your computer can actually run, your video game system can actually run. Well, is that what you bought? Did you buy those ones and zeros that actually run? No, you didn't buy that either. I mean, that's infinitely reproducible, right? You can just copy and paste those ones and zeros. I mean, yes, it's hard sometimes and copy protection, yada, yada, yada. But it's just ones and zeros. You can copy and paste it. You can make as many of those as you want. Now, you might have purchased a physical media. You might have purchased a, a cartridge, a switch cartridge, maybe a DVD or something like that. But even then, that's not really what you purchased. What you purchased is called a license, which at the end is just permission to run that software. So whenever you buy software and you install it, and install here could be anything from I'm actually downloading it and clicking a few buttons to make it actually install on my computer to I've put the cartridge into my machine, I've put the DVD into my PlayStation, that sort of thing, when I'm actually installing it. You have to agree to some things. You've all seen this. You've all clicked past it without reading it. The wall of text that appears, end user license agreement, or EULA, will appear. And you reach for that OK button as fast as you can. I don't want to read this. There's too much text. Don't, don't care. No, 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 no. Give me to my, I really want to run Microsoft Word. Let's get there. Sometimes, and I love this, the pieces of software that actually make you scroll from the top to the bottom to then hit OK to make the OK button actually come online, because of course, making you scroll obviously made you read all of that text. Have you ever stopped to actually wonder, what did you just agree to? Have you ever wondered, like, did I just, did I just sell my soul? Maybe you did. 
Maybe you didn't. I don't, hopefully you didn't. We'll talk about an example without that. But what exactly are you clicking past in an end-user license agreement? The overall purpose of an end-user license agreement is an agreement between the distributor, the publisher of the software, and the user about what rights you have to run that software on your machine. Sometimes those rights uh, could be revoked. Sometimes those rights cannot be transferred. It really depends upon what you're doing. But he here's the basic things that most all EULAs are doing. First, they almost all are going to say something like, you agree that you're using the software for its intended purpose. You know, you have downloaded, you know, iTunes and you're downloading it for the purpose of you want to play, you know, wonderful Trans-Siberian Orchestra Christmas music. Okay, you agree that you're using it for its intended purpose, and you think for a second, well, how would I use it? Well, <laughs> who knows? You agree that you are not going to try to reverse engineer or modify it. Usually what this means is you're agreeing that you're not going to take the executable, the actual ones and zeros that you got, and try to figure out what the code was. How did they actually build the software? There are exceptions to this in the DMCA, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, um, where you are still allowed to do this for backwards compatibility with old hardware. And these are kind of corner cases. Your average, I have downloaded a copy of Excel. That's not what this is about. It's about not finding the code, which then theoretically would be used to build a competing product. Something like that. You're also usually agreeing that you can't sue the company. You know, it's your usual liability waiver, right? Um, if the software, for some reason, accidentally deletes everything on your hard drive, you can't sue the company. And that might sound horrible that, that you would have to agree to that, but this is your usual, it's like it's like the, the agreement that you get when you go apple picking. You know, the, the agritainment uh, warning that you see on the barn when you go to pick apples, and it says something like, if you die why here, it's not necessarily our fault. It, it's your usual liability waiver. I mean, usual sounds strong when it's death, but eh, you, you get the idea. There's often a clause that says you can't resell the software uh, or, or pretend that you are the company reselling it as them. Um, there is, you know, right of first sale and, and, and things along those lines, but usually there's something in, in that realm. And finally, hopefully, there's some notion of privacy and what they what data they collect and what they will do with their data. There's other ways that they should show that to you, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute, but uh, that's kind of the sum of it. So... If you download a piece of software and you're thinking, I'm downloading this word processor, this Excel application, because I want to do a spreadsheet. I have no idea how to decompile code or what that even means when you say that, Sheriff. Uh, I, I'm not planning on suing Microsoft because that seems like a losing proposition. Uh, I, I need the software. I'm not going to resell it to anyone. And it's just on my machine. What do I care? Like, if that's your general opinion of things, then you are fine to click OK through all of these. You don't need to have a second thought. You don't need to stress about it. This is 99% of these end-user license agreements. It's just kind of a, hey, your mileage may vary. There's there's usually not really a warranty. You can't sue us, that sort of thing. That said, there are some really interesting, really interesting EULAs that have been out there that have some really interesting clauses that I guess they put in there to see if anyone actually reads them, but they've actually kind of become somewhat, I don't know, a little infamous 
Probably the most infamous of these is in the end user license agreement for iTunes. Turns out, it turns out that in the iTunes end user license agreement, you agree to not use iTunes to create or proliferate nuclear or chemical weapons. That's right. That's right. While you're listening to Justin Bieber, you cannot create a bomb. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not even sure how you would do that. Uh, I guess they're just covering their bases. Specifically, the text says, you also agree that you will not use these products for any purposes prohibited by United States law, including, without limitation, the development, design, manufacture, or production of nuclear, missile, chemical, or biological weapons. Wow. Covering their bases there, aren't they? But, you know, at the end of the day, who are you more afraid of? Are you afraid of being sued by the United States, or are you afraid of being sued by Apple? That's something you really have to consider. Here's another one. Amazon has a game design tool called Lumberyard. Now, that this is a tool very much like Unity, if you're familiar with that. It's, it's a system that you can build video games in. Didn't really take off, but they were covering their bases as well. They don't want anyone to use Lumberyard for nuclear weapons. I don't know why this is just keeps coming up. We're just so terrified of nuclear weapons being created on our MacBooks, but can't do that. Can't do medical software. Now, that one's a little bit more appropriate. I've certainly heard of people creating VR simulations for, for medical purposes, but that's in there too. But, but here's the quote. However, this restriction will not apply in the event of the occurrence certified by the United States Centers for Disease Control or any successor body of a widespread viral infection transmitted via bites or contact with bodily fluids that causes human corpses to reanimate and seek to consume living human flesh, blood, brain, or nerve tissue and is likely to result in the fall of organized civilization. You might have thought I was talking about COVID there for a minute, but no, I was actually talking about the zombie apocalypse. Yes, Amazon Lumberyard has the clause in it that if for some reason the zombie apocalypse is upon us, you are allowed. You have Jeff Bezos's blessing to go and build the savior of humanity in Amazon Lumberyard. And considering they haven't managed to release many games on it, I don't know how likely that's going to be. But know that the option's there. Here's another one. GameStation, which is a UK game purchasing website, they had an interesting clause if you happen to use it on a particular day. Quote, by order, by placing an order via this website on the first day of the fourth month of the year 2010, Anno Domini. Oh, God, I love those British people. Man, they like it nice and nice and formal there. For those that didn't put that together, that would be April 1st. You agree to grant us a non-transferable option to claim for now and forevermore your immortal soul. Should we wish to exercise this option, you agree to surrender your immortal soul and any claim you have on it within five working days of receiving written notification from GameStation.co.uk or one of its duly authorized minions. Nice. Nice. Turns out uh, they they reported about 12% of users actually did opt out of this clause, which, good for them. Here's one more. PC Pit Stop, which is just a, you know, simple PC checkup tool. They were having a little fun. They buried in their EULA the clause that the first person that reads this clause, they send an email to uh, renumeration at pcpitstop.com 
we'll get a prize. Turns out that prize was a thousand dollars. Wow. Uh, you know, I guess it was just like a, how long will it take? Uh, according to them, it took, it took a few months. It took a few months. So yeah, there are some interesting things out there, which probably put there more just because you know, the, the lawyers got funny for a minute, I guess. Uh, but they wanted to make it, uh, I don't know, a little bit more interesting. The EULA themselves, you know, kind of boring. The thing that you should pay attention to, though, if you're not paying attention to the actual EULA itself, is the privacy policy. Now, most reputable pieces of software, if you don't read the EULA, which most people don't, you can still Google search for the privacy policy of that particular piece of software. Now, why do you care about the privacy policy? Well, the privacy policy is a separate document. Often it's a separate document. document. And, and companies have gotten much better about actually putting these privacy policies in plain English and not legalese, which is wonderful. And it tells you what data from you they collect and what they do with it. I think most people who worry about what is going on uh, in, in cyberspace, they're not necessarily worried about whether, oh, I used I used TurboTax and I accidentally put in you know my income incorrectly and I'm going to sue TurboTax because my, my taxes were wrong because I made a mistake. That's not really what people are you know, worried about. It's much more, how much do these companies know about me? You can find out. Um, you know, Google collects a lot of information. They really do. They collect a lot of information. Uh, but they're pretty straightforward about what they collect and how they collect it. If you look at the privacy policy for Google Chrome, it specifically says at the top, the basic browser mode stores information locally on your system. This information might include your browsing history, personal information and passwords to help you fill out forms and sign in, a list of permissions you've granted to websites, cookies and other data from, web data from websites you visit, data saved by add-ons, and a record of what you've downloaded. And it tells you right after that, you can manage this information by, you can delete your browsing history, you can go to the cookies and site data dialog window, you can turn off cookies, and it says, this information is only stored on your machine unless you log in with your Google account. And if you do that, we do sync that up with our information on our side so that that persists ac across browsers. You probably have seen that. If you have more than one um, computer and you have Google Chrome installed on more than one computer and you log in with your Google account on both of those machines, your bookmarks, your history, everything is shared between them. No one at Google is painstakingly individually going through your information, but boy, howdy, are they running automated, you know, processes on this to get an idea of what sort of information is being used, what websites are really popular. And they use this to, you know, adjust searching algorithms and all sorts of stuff. Another thing that is interesting is that there's a section of the privacy policy that talks about identifiers. So they actually say like for promotion tracking, uh, in order to help us track the success of promotional campaigns, Chrome generates a unique token. So that would be like a, like a string of numbers and letters that's just for your installation of Chrome when you first run and use the browser. And then it goes on to say that that is sent back to Google and that is how they track to see, oh, we noticed that this browser went to uh, Facebook and, and looked at a picture of baby clothes. And so then by the time you make it back to Google, it's, you know, 
predicting that you're searching for baby clothes. I know that a lot of people, you know, get, get a little freaked out when those things happen. It, it's not a manual thing that's happening. It's, I mean, it depends on how you think about it. It's a feature, right? It is a an attempt by larger uh, tech companies to unify your internet experience. And it's creepy. I mean, I understand that. You know, you look at it and you're like, how did you know I was looking at, you know, I got a, I got a Gunpla uh, uh, Gundam robot model for my birthday. And all of a sudden, after I've added some more to my wish list, I see the ads for these things everywhere. And that's part of how it's done. Uh, there are other systems that do this. This is not the only one. You know, this is actually coming at you from multiple different angles because selling that data is very interesting. And so they're not necessarily selling your individual name. Like, geez, Sheriff really likes Gunpla. Um, it's more these kind of automated uh, indicators. So if you care about those things, if you care about that aspect of it, you can go into your browsers uh, and you know turn off some of these some of these features. You will lose features if you do this, uh, but maybe that maybe that's what you want to do. Maybe that makes you feel better about it. But you know that is often in the EULA. It isn't necessarily there, but thankfully it's also outside the EULA. Is there always a EULA? Well, there's not necessarily always an end user license agreement. Uh, the end user license agreement, when we refer to it that way, we typically mean a um, specific license agreement that comes for a specific piece of software from a particular company. There are other software licenses out there that are meant to be for the free distribution of software. Now, I have to define free here. There's free as in gratis, free beer, no cost. That's one type of free, but there's another type of free, free libre, as in free from restrictions. And we have to consider both of these when we talk about free or open source software. You can download a ton of software for free gratis, for you know, download, do whatever you want to with it, whatever. Chrome, for example, is free. You didn't pay anything to install that browser. Now, they get a you know they Google has a monetary investment in you because they for the ad tracking all that sort of jazz. But the actual product of Chrome or Firefox or Zoom for that matter, just downloading the client, they are free to download and use. But they're not libre. They're not free from restriction. Chrome, you're not. You can't. Reverse engineer it. You're not. You can't modify. It. You're not supposed to. It's against the the conditions. Same thing with Zoom. Same thing with you know many of these other free pieces of software you just install. They might be free as in money, but not free from restriction. And there are licenses out there that specifically talk about free as in. Um, money, but not from restrictions. Some of them are EULA. Some of them are more common, um, like universal licenses. Um, when we go the other way, free is in free from restriction. And often if it's free from restriction, it's often free is in money too, but not always because not everyone wants to download source code and then try and build it and whatever. But there's pr plenty of pieces of software out there that are free from restriction. And this includes the code as well. And you can go to GitHub or open source websites and it's just, here it is, here's the code, do whatever you want to with it. And this, these are usually released under open source licenses, usually something called the MIT license or the BSD license. And these are standard 
industry-wide licenses that basically just say, your mileage may vary, don't sue us, include this license text uh, anywhere that you use this code, and generally, you can't say that we um, endorse your product just because you used some of our code in there. Everything else? Go to town. Want to make nuclear weapons? Apparently, that's fine under under those licenses. It, there's no no indication of liability. It's just here's the code. You can go use it, and that's free as in libre. And we use a ton of that in um, our classes. Uh, we we what we use to teach students. You probably use some on your own machine as well. You probably have downloaded a text editor at some point that is probably both free gratis and free libre and that you can do whatever you want to with the code you could go find the code if you really wanted to um firefox is released under something called the mozilla public license which is another open source license like the mit and the bsd that i just mentioned to you matter of fact here's what the firefox license says all distribution of covered software in source code form including any modifications that you create or you wish to contribute must be under the terms of this license you must inform recipients that the source code form of the covered software is governed by the terms of this license and how they can obtain the license basically what this is saying is here's the code you can make changes to it you can add to it we want you to do interesting things with it it's free mostly libre but it says that you also need to have other people release under the same license so that it is intended so that uh, people can keep building on it and keep make new and cool things. So that's just a little taste of what it's like out there when you are um, clicking through that OK button. Don't feel bad about it. Honestly, 99% of the time, not a big deal. It really isn't going to affect you. You're just agreeing that you're going to use the software for, you know, not creating nuclear weapons. And uh, uh, but it's OK in the case of the zombie apocalypse. And maybe maybe they'll take ownership of your soul, but they promise they'll only do good things with it. Hope you're doing well. Hope the holiday season is going to be great for you. I'm excited to say that next week we're going to have another live episode. Turns out we are going to do another AMA Ask Me Anything in class on Tuesday. We'll record that and post that next week. And then hopefully we'll get through all the exams and then we'll be back to normal episodes. So for myself and for the currently absent Professor Will McMurray, take care, be safe watch for falling goats. Bye.